Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 280. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our breakdown of the brand new trailer for Marvel Studios' Secret Invasion coming to Disney Plus on June 21st. Before our conversation begins, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus, where you can hear us talk about extra MCU topics and even stuff slightly adjacent to the MCU, like the new trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That we will be discussing on Fan Show Plus, which you can find at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel, you can find it there and become a premium subscriber so that you have access to those Fan Show Plus episodes. Also, make sure that you are following us in those places you can. We are on Instagram at Twi- and Twitter at MCU Fan Show. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm doing just fine. I've got a lot of uh, Marvel stuff that I'm trying to catch up on because all the Star Wars stuff we're getting. It's just it's been it's just getting a little bit crazy up in here. But you know, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I've got a lot of Marvel stuff coming up for the comic binge that I'm you know excited to talk about. Very very pertinent, I think, to what's we're coming out and what's eventually going to happen. So I'm uh, I'm gearing up. Up. I, I I had saved the Secret Invasion trailer. I didn't really watch much of it until we were going to record because I wanted to get fresh and get get some fresh thoughts because I feel like I have my best uh, my best mind frame when I get into the when I watch it fresh for the first time. So I'm excited I, and I'm, I'm legitimately excited to talk about this uh, this trailer because there's a lot of interesting th- nuggets in here. I want to I want to get into. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in this trailer and a lot of interesting talking points, or so we'll try to make the case as we try to be interesting talking about the points <laughs> for this trailer. But uh, yeah, it's been a very busy week. I mean, did you get your Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 tickets? Are you ready to go for opening night? I am already for opening night Thursday. Uh, Chris and I, Chris came through. Uh, I'm super mega broke right now, and uh, Chris came through for me, and I was like, oh, bless you, child. Because uh, he's a lot younger than me, so I have to call him child. Um, so anyway, uh, and I was like, man, I'm so I'm so happy. So Chris, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. I love you, bro. Um, he always helps. We, we, we pretty much go to every movie like now like 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 marvel dc except he ditched me on shazam the bastard um uh but anyway he uh but yeah he got us, uh, gardens of the galaxy tickets we have the same spots same theater we go to so i i'm i'm super excited i it's i'm a little bummed i think it's on is it on may 4th thursday is it oh, yes is that thursday yeah. may 4th will be opening night for official release date friday may 5th I'm a l- they got to change the release yeah, date by l- the way if i could just be an old man and yell at this cloud for a second like it's just it was one thing when opening night was midnight shows or even when they bumped it up to 7 p.m. But now that opening night includes 3 p.m. shows, like now you have matinee yeah. showings, like that's opening day. Uh, like I, I don't get the whole yeah. Friday release date, whatever. I, and I know it's it's for box office and to keep it as a three day opening because of box office records and whatever bragging rights that come with that. OK, fine. But yeah, basically, you know, it says May 5th, but. We're seeing it. I mean, I hope I get to see it on May 4th. Uh, I have tickets for May 4th, but, you know, as long as my schedule allows. But seeing it May 4th, 
most of you listening are probably seeing it May 4th, or maybe some of you are seeing it later into the uh, opening weekend, which is totally fine. Nobody's required to see it on opening day. But yeah, it, it is weird, though, to say, well, May 5th, but it's always the day before. And it used to be, it was fine when it was opening night, and it really was evening showings, but now it's just yeah. not that. Um, which is not a thing to even be remotely upset about. Like I said, the, the cloud has drifted away, uh, and I will done. <laughs> that's the end of my old man rant. So, um, as far as Secret Invasion, to finally get into this, because you know we're mm. we're almost five minutes into the show, and, and maybe we can start talking about our, our topic uh, before we get into the trailer itself. Though, Paul, how do you feel about the release date of June twenty first? I mean, we kind of. New ahead of time, there was uh, there was already some news that it was probably going to be June or more specifically June 21st for Secret Invasion. So, I mean, when did She-Hulk Attorney at Law end last year? Was that like September, October uh, when that yeah. was all mm-hmm. over? And so it's been a long, uh, a long gap between Marvel Studios series on Disney Plus. Although in between those, it's worth noting, we did have... Werewolf by Night and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday specials. So we had a couple spe- uh, special presentations not too long after She-Hulk Attorney at Law. But we will be almost six full months into this calendar year before we get another Marvel Studios series. And I would say that this is probably something that we should start getting used to because we know that Marvel is going to slow down. Kevin Feige has told us as much that they're not going to make quite as much. And what they do make, they are going to space out more. So we know we're going to have these larger intervals between Marvel series. And I would say in this case, I think it's mostly worked out. Like I don't it's not like even though we haven't had a Marvel series since She-Hulk, we have had two special presentations and a movie. And we will have another movie before we get to Secret Invasion. It also makes me. Not necessarily. I mean, hopefully there aren't there aren't reasons of trouble with uh, post production, which I don't think there are. I think the Marvels moved more for scheduling reasons. But I am kind of happy now that the Marvels moved, not because I I want to wait to see the movie, but since we're going to have Secret Invasion throughout June and July, I think it just works out to space out the Marvel calendar that we got Quantum Mania in February, Guardians three coming up in May, and then not long after that, <laughs> Secret Invasion in June which is going to run for six weeks on Disney Plus. And then, you know, eventually in November, we'll get the Marvels. And probably in between Secret Invasion and the Marvels, uh, we might get uh, Loki season two. So I think the way that this is happening, I, I definitely don't expect as long of a gap between Secret Invasion and, and Loki season two as we got between She-Hulk Attorney at Law and Secret Invasion. So the way this all landed on the Marvel calendar I actually think it it works out nicely, even if when you think about it, yeah, it is kind of weird that we had such a a long gap between Marvel series because that's not what we're used to. But I I think it's okay, and I'm excited about having you know the summer of Secret Invasion on on Disney Plus this year with uh, with with the next Marvel show. Yeah, you know, and I'm we've talked a lot about the fact that the series and there's 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 so much you know, last year and it was it definitely be, they could they should have spaced spaced it out more. I think a lot of I think a lot of people, even though we we liked the majority of what we got from Disney Plus Marvel Studios stuff, I think we, we 
it would have been nicer to have things more spread out. And I think the special presentations, those, those are nice. And, and I, I don't know, it's, it's nice to have a series to look forward to and chew on. I mean, like I look at star Wars as the Mandalorian, you know, there's, there's big gaps between those series, you know, for a lot of times. And it's nice because I'm, I'm ready. Like, you know, whereas I felt like last year, getting Moon Knight, She-Hulk, you know, all those things we got like back to back to back. It just was like, oh man, like, okay, I gotta get ready for this one too. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's fine, but it's just, it just does get kind of like a lot to keep track of. And, 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 you know, it's just hard sometimes, you know, to devote all this time when we do the things. It's just, it is. And so when you have the space to really like look forward to it, cause that's the thing I, I think I miss from the most about the old days, Sean, is I love the content we're getting for the most part. I, I just miss anticipation and getting excited to watch it. And I think when you, the more frequent we get these things, obviously, it's just there's not as exciting. It's not as like you know, oh man, like you, get, you know, I miss those that time frame of getting like stoked to see it because it's not not because not just because of the story, because like I'm ready for it. You know what I mean? Like I think there's value there, and the hype, if you will. I mean, I don't want to hype can kill things too, sure, but. I don't know. It's nice to have that to look forward to. And now I'm going to really cherish that time to watch Secret Invasion and take in everything instead of like, okay, get through through Secret Invasion. You got to get to the next one, which is going to be in two weeks from there. I'm going to prepare. You know, it's it's nice to have that gap for me anyway. So it's just nice for me to look forward to it, to really embrace it. Because I think that's the thing I'll just end with that is it's it's not just what we, we take out of it. It's also knowing like, oh, we can sit with it and ruminate on it and really just kind of, yeah, like kind of think about what's going on instead of having to be like, all right, let's get to the next one. You know what I mean? Like there's something there's something special with that. And I think it's there's value there. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to really dissecting Secret Invasion and sitting with it for a while instead of like having to prepare for the next thing like two, three weeks later. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I actually certainly like the idea of now that things are going to have to be just out of necessity, be spaced out a little bit more. They should definitely have the series going in between movie release dates. Like I don't need to have a Marvel series. I mean, it's a good problem to have to have just overabundance of MCU content. But I do feel like when we've had those weeks where there's been a movie and a new episode of a Disney Plus series, a Marvel Disney Plus show. Neither one gets quite as much as they would have, like completely on their own. I mean, they do in terms of spoiler reviews. We haven't shortchanged you out there. <laughs> like we give it, uh, we give it our all. But I, I just feel like in terms of just normal human attention, it's almost impossible to. Well, not impossible, but it's it's much harder to give everything it's full due in terms of really just being able to kind of appreciate it in the moment because you're simultaneously appreciating the other thing in its moment. So having this situation, like what we have with our our schedule now for the next several weeks to have mm-hmm. the full ramp up to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, watch that movie, ideally, enjoy that movie, savor that movie, talk <laughs> about that movie, talk it to death, no pun intended for certain characters within Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but just talk about it over and over as we love to do for several weeks before we have to start diving into Secret Invasion. Like, I, I just think that's ultimately going to work better for both of those projects. Yeah, and I think that you're only I think for projects for, you know, for people to embrace it and also 
when you can have the two projects be kind of very different things. So as we're going to get the sci-fi epic with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we have a more, you know, kind of a more toned down like espionage with a twist uh, story with Secret Invasion. So I think that the more you can kind of not just you can give a different style of 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 story between you know between the films and the series and and back you know and, and you can build off of those things it just makes it more fresh for the next thing we we get right so it, it's nice to get that kind of dip that this big kind of difference between those things because i think if you did like uh this secret invasion let's say captain america oh, the new captain america movie they might they're gonna be different but they're gonna be kind of tonally similar because they're all earth-based there's gonna be you know government official stuff you know etc cetera, etc cetera. this is so different it's nice and i hope they kind of keep that up like let's kind of like balance it out where it's like you have a street level here and then you have a uh, you know, Captain America here, you know, more of the, the government stuff. Then you have a science fiction movie here or you, you, whatever, what have you. Right. So I, it's nice to have that difference. So um, I think that also will play. I, I, I think I would assume it would play that way in the future more. And I think it would work better, I think, for as an audience as well. Yeah, it is interesting to think about having I mean, they're both sci fi in their own way. I mean, Guardians more of the space opera style and then yeah. you know, something and then obviously you have secret invasion which is a more grounded as much as you could call scrolls grounded um in its espionage thriller approach to it which it's very fitting that these two marvel stories come out next to each other it's a different order than we saw in 2014 but it is kind of winter soldier-esque and from 2014 which was followed by guardians of the galaxy a few months later in 2014 and Anytime we get those types of pairings that just show how versatile the MCU uh, can be, and which is has always been one of the strengths of the MCU, that it can do all of those things, that yep. it can be completely crazy all the way out in space, massive space adventures with talking trees and talking raccoons, and then also have something more grounded. And even though, like I said, this one uh, grounded with uh, a wink or some side eye, because, yeah, it is shape-shifting scrolls, but nevertheless, I mean, just the tone is uh, is very different in this trailer compared to some things that we've seen recently and getting into this Secret Invasion trailer finally. I, I think that was what really stood out to me more than any one specific visual um, or it was just the overall feel of this trailer, which I don't think really gave away that much. I, I think there was more that was actually given away in the Vanity Fair article about Secret Invasion. And so, we'll, and we'll talk about some of those things because they definitely add context to what we're seeing in the trailer. But I think the overall feel of this, I mean, the D23 trailer from last year certainly showed that, and we kind of expected, okay, it's going to have a, a little bit of a darker tone, not necessarily darker than we've ever had in the MCU, but compared to maybe some of the things that we've seen recently. I think that still shines through um, the darker thing shining through uh, in this trailer. Uh, so that's definitely still part of the feel of Secret Invasion. I think the other part of it, though, that really stood out to me was really trying to communicate the idea that this might be the last time we see Nick Fury. I mean, they're definitely selling that idea. They want us to be worried about that going into this uh, going into this series based on what we're seeing in this trailer, just with some of the language that's used, like, 
you know, ending sooner than you think or ending not the way that you think. And even at the very end of it, Nick Fury talking about one last fight. They're definitely trying to make this look and feel like Nick Fury's last ride. And I don't know how much... I'm of two minds about it. Like, it's very... In some ways, it, it almost makes the story feel a little more intimidating. Almost, you almost dread the idea of this story. Not that you don't want to see dreading it in terms of you don't want to see the story unfold, but you don't want to necessarily see that result because we've loved watching Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury for such a long time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, literally from the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the post-credit scene for Iron Man. But I'm also I'm not sure I'm really buying that idea. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't be dismissive of the idea that this could be the la- really be the last fight for Nick Fury. I guess I just have this sense that because he's been a fixture of the movies for so long and, and been such a huge part of such high-profile fo- uh, high projects in the MCU, with all due respect to this series, which I think is going to be excellent... I just can't see a Disney Plus series, even one with, that puts Nick Fury front and center. Like, I can't see that being the place that his story ends. And, and maybe maybe a quiet ending and slightly more subdued ending is maybe that's the way Nick Fury is supposed to go out. A character like Nick mm-hmm. Fury is supposed to go out. But at the same time, I, I kind of feel like if we ever get to a story where we know going into it, this is the end for Nick Fury... I just feel like that would be building toward a, a bigger moment. But maybe I, maybe that's me being guilty of underestimating this series. See, and th- this is one of the things I wanted to talk about um, before the show, Sean, is that when I watched this, I was really surprised. Um, oh, how about this? I wasn't super surprised. I was surprised, but I'm also not shocked that they're kind of preparing us potentially for this. And I think that's the key word is preparing. Not necessarily maybe in this series but i think they're preparing samuel jackson's eventual exit because you know he is he looks phenomenal for for his age he's in his early 70s approaching mid 70s and i'll you know i'll never forget i was watching um glass like uh, interview with him he kind of went on a little like a marvel rant like someone doing like an internet like promotion thing he talked about or he he talked he mentioned how old he was he's and that was you know two three years whatever years ago he was 71 or something like that i'm like what he's 71 i forget like he just looks phenomenal for his age he's in great shape you know he just yeah he's amazing um, yeah, he's approaching his mid seventies. Um, and yeah, he could stick around and, and just kind of walk and talk for a while and everything. And, but the thing is eventually if the, if the one thing we, we all know in the comic books is that no one gets older, you know, like everyone stays roughly the same age and, um, it's just reality. Right. And in the comic books, the original Nick Fury, uh, was turned into a watcher character. And then they, they, they brought in eventually the son of Nick Fury, which was, you know, based off the ultimate version that we get Samuel Jackson, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, the thing is eventually these actors like Tony, like again, like Robert, Robert Downey Jr., Samuel Jackson, you know, they're, they're, they're older than, than, than even the Chris Evans and in, you know, even Paul Rudd, I mean, Paul Rudd's older than Chris Evans and, you know, he, but he's looks phenomenal for his age. So he can still get by, you know, these other guys are they're a little bit older and they're, you know, they're approaching, especially Samuel Jackson is approaching probably somewhat at the retirement age at some point. I mean, it looks phenomenal, but I mean, the body obviously is going to be harder and harder to move around as we get older. I mean, I, I'm 41 and I'm starting to kind of feel little things here and there. I'm like, Oh God. Uh, um, you know, and the thing is for me is I'm, 
I, I started watching this, and when they started really emphasizing that, Sean, I started thinking this very well could be the end. I agree with you. I'm not sure if they would want to maybe do that, um, but I think they could be preparing. I don't think it's like the point of it, but I think they also could be somewhat preparing us for the eventual exit of this character. And it started. I started thinking immediately, who would replace Nick Fury? And because that's the thing about, I think, Fury's character is so interesting is that he is the unifier, right? He binds so many aspects together of because of that shared history. If he were to either die or leave or whatever, who would replace that? I mean, and I, I, just, I think they I already have about, that person in Val. Like, and I know that she doesn't connect mm. or don't call her Val. Like, I know she doesn't connect the heroes, like in terms of the Avengers type of heroes, it's more, you know, Thunderbolts style and, and everything, but that still is somebody, well, I think there are a couple different things on this. You still have somebody who's kind of connecting a lot of things together, but also that role of being the guy, or even go back to Phil Coulson being the glue when he was uh, killed in the Avengers before you know being resurrected on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., when you have those characters, I think those characters were a lot more valuable to the MCU in the early days where you were establishing that these things were connected. Now the connectivity of the MCU is well established and, and everybody's generally aware of it. So I, I don't necessarily think you need the character. You don't need it from an audience awareness standpoint. At the same time, it's nice to still have somebody who connects certain stories to help those stories feel bigger in, in different ways and to show a progression within those stories. And Nick Fury obviously did a big part of that. But I, I think also with Nick Fury, though, we saw this role evolve over time. I mean, we saw Nick Fury go from being the guy who's kind of behind the scenes, pulling strings and, and bringing the Avengers together in phase one to really being more of a fully formed character and getting to know him better in starting with Captain America, the Winter Soldier in phase two, through getting a look at his uh, earlier days in Captain Marvel in phase three. So we've seen this character evolve. And then I think as far as, I think other characters have taken on, because nobody can just do what Samuel L. Jackson does. Like no one person can come in and do what Samuel L. Jackson has been able to do, not just in the MCU, outside of the MCU, but collectively serving those functions. I think you kind of have some of the stuff that used to be more of Nick Fury is now divided amongst some other characters. Even Wong is kind of that character, right? In terms of some of the more superpowered, supernatural characters. We've seen That's Benedict, a great uh, point. Benedict Wong show up in a lot of places. We've seen Val show up in, in some of the places for the heroes that maybe are not quite as as savory as some of the uh, as the Avengers and everything. So we have different characters in different spots kind of being instead of having one character as like the center, we have these different hubs of here's the character who kind of connects this group. Here's the character that kind of connects this group. And that seems to be how a lot of it's working. And, and I think that works just fine because I, I think what you don't want to do is, is have it feel so overt in that you as an audience member, as you're watching something, you don't want to be aware in the moment of the function of the character. You want to be feeling what's happening with the character and connecting to that character, not, not thinking, oh, this is the Nick Fury of this story or whatever it may be, because then what you're aware of is, you know, function and formula as opposed to just feeling what's what's the story that's unfolding 
before your eyes and, and just witnessing it. So I, I think as far as the way Marvel has kind of managed that and the way that's evolved across with Nick Fury's journey, but then also to different characters, uh, I think the way they've deployed it in recent years has been pretty effective. But yeah, the whole idea of, you know, the end is closer than we think is is the the message that's right there in this trailer. I mean, maybe it is something that we have to be prepared for. I, I don't know, because like certainly going if they weren't sending me this message in the trailer, I would not have picked this as a spot that would be the end of Nick Fury's story in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And if he just all of a sudden died at the end of this series, then I probably wouldn't even be ready to accept it. Like, wait a minute, that's it for Nick Fury? So, I mean, if if that's what's happening and they're kind of preparing us for that and we can go into it being a little more prepared in that sense, okay, I, I understand why you would want to do that. But I also think that, you know, this is what trailers do. They want us to worry about, they, they want us to worry sure. about certain things and then they can obviously, they can go right alongside those expectations that they've given us in the trailer or they can go completely the other direction or somewhere in between. So I don't know, I, I'm not treating this as I'm not going into this story saying this is definitely Fury's last stand in the MCU just with Mm -hmm. the knowledge in my head that yeah okay it might be but you know in the I I do get that the difference between a a live action adaptation and the comic books is yes characters they have to age because the actors who play them they age so that's just the reality of what you deal with but one element from comic books that the MCU uh, has been able to ad- adapt is for a lot of characters, death is not forever. So, I mean, even course, I mean, right. we, we get to see a Nick Fury headstone in this trailer, right? Which is different, by the way, than the Nick Fury headstone that we saw at the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier that had the path of the righteous man on it. So, like, I don't know if it's because they couldn't clear the path of the righteous man for, uh, which I don't know why you wouldn't be able to clear it. Um, so, cause I would think public domain, but, uh, as far as that goes, like it, Nick, Nick Fury, if he has multiple headstones, then he's faked his death multiple times. So even if he is quote unquote dead at the end of this story, how much would you really believe it? And even if you really believed it, how, uh, how much of a contradiction would that really feel like if you saw Nick Fury alive again one day? Like not at all. <laughs> like anytime Nick Fury comes back. Because even in the comic books, Nick Fury dies and comes back. So you just think, as many, 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 many characters have in comic books over the years. So that's what I think that's the difficulty for me with trying to sell the stakes of, of Nick Fury as, you know, a last story, a potential death and, and whatever is even when you see it happen right before your eyes, are you really going to believe? Are you, A, going to believe it, and then also believe in and accept the permanence of it? I don't know that I don't know that I really will. I mean, it would have to be like the most definitive on-screen death ever. Because even in Winter Soldier, he dies, his heart totally stops, and oh, he's still alive. So, uh, because there was a medication that caused that. So now that I know that that's in Nick Fury's tool bag, even just showing him completely stop breathing on screen, I don't know that I'm going to believe that's that's really the end for him. So I I say all that to say it's interesting to see them go with that choice in the marketing and with the tone of the show. But I don't, for me anyway, that's not going to be the selling point of the show. I'm much more interested in 
in, in terms of Nick Fury, what I'm very interested in is Nick Fury not being the one in control and not being the guy who knows everything. That's the space that we don't typically get to see Nick Fury in. He's usually the guy who knows everything. I mean, he gets surprised. He's surprised in Winter Soldier. He's surprised in other stories over the years. But usually he's the guy who's just so used to being in control and being the one who knows more than anyone else in the room. And this just doesn't feel that way. This is Nick Fury having to react on the fly a lot more than maybe we're used to seeing him do in the MCU, which just gives us the opportunity to see him expand on all of the skills and all of the smarts that he's shown us in the MCU over the years because he's being tested in a way that we just haven't seen in his uh, long and storied journey in the MCU up until this point. You know, and I do think that like there is a lot of different ways you could you could turn this into um, immortalize this character. You could even go super super bonkers, and I don't think this is gonna, they're going to do this. But you know, one thing I, I, I love that idea. By the way, Sean, that he's faked his death potentially like multiple times, and he could be like, you know, they say hit your headstone. He's like, how many? You know, yeah, which you know, one? I've lost count. <laughs> yeah, which one? Yeah, exactly. I'd be amazing. I, I I think that's a fascinating aspect. The one thing I would say that I, I, I don't think they'll do, but I, it'd be interesting. And I think it's a 5% chance of happening, but it's possible. I mean, in the comic books, the original Nick Fury turns into like this cosmic being with the scrolls being involved and having like this, you know, if there was some, and he's already been established being in cosmic, you know, the sword, the sword uh, potentially could be formed up in space with him. I could see him turning into like his immortalized unseen thing where he could just give his voice. He didn't even have to show up. It could be just computer generated, like godlike being that he turns into. I know that sounds crazy for some of y'all out there, but that's what happens. It happens. Fury. And, and, and you know what? Like you talk about, you know, dying, but you know, coming back, I think that'd be an interesting way to immortalize. I think Samuel Jackson's character in, in the wake of another controversies with AI voices with like James Earl Jones and, you know, whatever, but, um, with the whole Vader thing, but you know, he's still alive, but he gave his, he basically gave and sold his rights to his voice to the, to keep doing Vader in the future with this new AI program. And I'm curious of with Nick Fury and this, um, what if it's something similar that, you know, he could still give his voice or, you know, whatever. It's just interesting. An idea that they could really immortalize. I think someone that, cause I think in my opinion, uh, Samuel Jackson is critical, so critical to the MCU for many different reasons. And I think that he really helped bring the, the whole shared universe aspect with his, not just with his character, but with him as an actor. And the fact that he signed on to do something so like, you know, a, a, a very established, well-known, respected actor came on to do a cameo and an end credit scene. Yeah, he gave it weight. He, exactly. And the fact, I, I think that, to, and I'm not trying to underscore or undermine anyone else in the mcu but you know in the original you know phase one but i do think he specifically besides besides robert Downey jr really helped you know they're the ones i think responsible for bringing the mcu to the to the masses of the general audience and i think that he, i would love to see him immortalize something like the unseen where he's like this immortal you know some in, immortal being where he's kind of just kind of overseeing the mcu overall that there's something poetic and interesting and awesome about that so I don't want to go too much longer than that, but I just want to again throw that out there as a possibility. The fact that he is in the cosmic realm-ish a little bit, Sean, it's possible. So I would not be shocked if he died and there was some kind of he came 
back as like this, you know, being again at some way, somehow. So just going to throw it out there before we break the sucker down. Yeah, no, I, I think that is, well, we are in the process of breaking it down, but uh, you I know think what I that, mean, uh, further breaking it down. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I think that Nick Fury, I mean, that's kind of my question, though, is in terms of the kind of where this series picks up, because the last time we saw Nick Fury in like a present day situation was the post credit scene from uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. And, you know, we find out that that Talos and, and Soren had been impersonating Fury in Maria Hill, as scrolls can do. Well, where's Nick Fury been on this uh, during this story? Well, he's out in space with the scrolls. Okay. And, and we were thinking, we were wondering what that was going to lead to. And we were thinking it would lead to a more cosmic sort of thing. And I mean, not that scrolls on Earth, it's still cosmic. It's still partially cosmic because we're talking about scrolls, but this is a very grounded application of it. And that's not maybe what I was expecting when we first saw that post credit scene. And even going to, WandaVision last year, there's the scroll who recruits Monica Rambo, and it definitely was the the impression there that was referring to Monica Rambo getting a chance to go out into space and, and meet Nick Fury and work with Nick Fury. And maybe we'll find out more about that in the Marvels. And that's kind of where, and because Nick Fury has such a strong presence in Captain Marvel and has now potential connection to Monica Rambo. Well, I mean, also already had a connection from Captain Marvel. Met her as a small child uh, in uh, in Captain Marvel. So I still feel like Secret Invasion won't even necessarily be the last place we see Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury this year. Um, I mean, but again, we don't know timeline, what order everything's in. Because this one, I do want to know what Nick Fury has been doing out in space. And, and I hope that we get at least some intel on that during this series because right now it just seems like he beams back down to earth and that's kind of the the starting point and talos is catching him up on how bad things have gotten uh on earth since he left and and we do have some context from the vanity fair article because we do know that we have where the first captain marvel movie uh, recontextualized the scrolls who were almost always bad guys almost always antagonists in Marvel comic books, they were recontextualized as refugees in Captain Marvel, and it was a beautiful story point that, that I thought they did very well in a very underrated MCU movie, in, in my opinion, and I was a big, big fan of uh, of what they did in that one, but we also knew that the part of the message there was not, oh, you were wrong, all scrolls are good, it was the idea of you can't really paint anyone with a broad brush, and so just because the scrolls that we knew or that we were introduced to in Captain Marvel were good and, and well-intended doesn't mean there weren't any uh, any scrolls who would be out there who would have some form of malicious intent. And, and that's what we're seeing now in this trailer. And the context that we get, I, I think the trailer kind of suggests this, but then filling in a few more blanks from the Vanity Fair article, that we see the the leader of this uh, this. Scroll cell, and that's a character called Gravik, played by Kingsley Benadir. And the context that we get from the Vanity Fair article is that Gravik leads a group that is exhausted with and tired of waiting for Talos or Fury or anyone else to find the Skrulls a new home, because we know that was the mission at the end of Captain Marvel, which was set in 1995. This story is unfolding 
almost three decades after that. So the scrolls apparently still haven't found a home. And I know that part of it is there were scrolls that were scattered throughout the galaxy or throughout space. And so maybe the first step was getting everybody back together. But now that everyone's back together, they need to find a new permanent home. Apparently, they have not been able to do that in the past three decades. And Gravik is leading a group that is tired of waiting and, and feeling like that there's been more than enough time to solve this issue. Um, and it's not happening. So impatient with Talos taking matters into their own hands. Uh, and we see the way that they're doing it is launching a lot of attacks. We see a, a bombing in Moscow. We see an attack on what looks like a you know a presidential motorcade or, or whatever. We see a lot of these different attacks happening uh, throughout this story. And the, the why is related to you as what was uh, disclosed in the Vanity Fair article. But there are some other pieces to this story, like where does Amelia Clark fit into all of this? Well, Amelia Clark is playing a character that we also saw in Captain Marvel. Remember, Talos had a daughter, the one playing Uno with Monica Rambeau in that story. Uh, Gaia is the name of that character played by Amelia Clark. And she is there who is kind of in between, not super happy with the way things have gone with Talos and the way things have gone with Nick Fury and Talos's loyalty to Nick Fury but not radicalized in the way that Gravik and, and his group are. So I, I think just in terms of the setting of this story, before we get into like the science fiction-y aspect of what the scrolls are uh, actually appear to be doing, um, just the setup for who these characters are and how they're fitting into the story. Also, Olivia Coleman's character, by the way, uh, we find out this trailer is Sonia Fallsworth, which is interesting because she's definitely playing like this M- MI6 type of character for Nick Fury, kind of his uh, a British counterpart for Nick Fury. And we see them in London and going almost trading old stories, having a certain familiarity with each other. But still very clear in this trailer that like we're not trusting Olivia Coleman. But just the name Fallsworth is interesting because as some folks have pointed out, uh, there was a Fallsworth in Captain America, the first Avenger. There was James Montgomery Fallsworth, one of the Howling Commandos. So perhaps uh, she is a descendant of Mr. Fallsworth. I would say most likely she probably is. That's more Easter egg stuff. That's not I don't think that's really driving her uh, in the story in, in any sort of way. But just in terms of putting these chess pieces on the board, I like the way all of this fits. I like the dynamics between these characters. And look, it makes sense to have a character like Gravik as kind of the, the escalating force and the antagonist in a story like this. In terms of grounding that character and his story, it's not to grant permission for him to do horrible things and have bombings and, and attacks and all of those things and commit these acts of violence. Of course not. But... As with all antagonists or all great antagonists in storytelling, at least we get some understanding of the reason why, even if we don't agree with the met with the methods they actually employ. And it is valid, right, to think about this from that perspective, not the choices he make or the actions, but being impatient, being fed up with the idea of waiting to have a safe space to live, whether it's on Earth or somewhere else in the galaxy, in the universe, whatever, especially when we're talking about characters that they've been on Earth now for 30 years, kind of hiding their existence and also trying to find a, a new home somewhere else. And you would think that with the gigantic ship they had at the end of Captain Marvel, that they would have been able to go around space and find 
a place to live, but apparently that's easier said than done. So characters getting frustrated with that, and inevitably that's going to lead to that, even with a character as well-intended as Talos is, if he's ultimately not providing a space that everybody feels like they they need, patience does run out. And so that being an escalating factor in this story, I think is really, really rich and, and really compelling. And so I, I think it tests a lot of things. And I like the dynamic, too, between Talos and his daughter, Gaia, of, of her also having that impatience, maybe also questioning whether or not that loyalty to Nick Fury is really worth it, because... I want to learn more about that and the dynamic between Talos and Nick Fury. Like, how have they managed this dynamic? Because for the most part, we know the scrolls have remained hidden. Otherwise, they would have been a much larger presence in the MCU as the story was unfolding throughout the Infinity Saga. That didn't happen. So there were still a lot of scrolls on Earth during that time period. And a lot of them were, were coming back to Earth during that time period. And if they're not out in public and people don't know that they exist, that means that they were hiding. And obviously, we could see how they could get tired of uh, another play, another aspect where the patience runs out. So all of this stuff just, I think, Paul, builds a lot of tension in the story that I think is going to be really interesting and, and very, very, with all the scrolls and science fiction and radioactive you know, sites and whatever super scrolls of it all, as we will also get into in this breakdown, it still is coming from this very emotionally grounded place, which I do find very compelling. And that was one of my favorite aspects of the trailer combined with, you know, the context that we got from the Vanity Fair piece. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting aspects because one of the lingering threads that from that Captain Marvel film and was again, they're teaming up with Nick Fury. They're kind of all in together. And the whole thing of trying to find a new home for for them and, and and again i want to make reference to this one more time thank goodness we got the fantastic four back because uh you know who destroyed their home and if you don't know you better know it's galactus so just keep that in mind y'all uh which is another really cool thing um there's a lot of different interesting things about this that i'm i'm I, I'm, and those who, who listen for a while know I'm not a shape shifting like power. Just I just, I think it's tiresome. I've never liked scrolls that much. You know, reading comics like you know I remember uh, reading anything with scrolls. I'm like, hey, get over with. I, I like the super scrolls, which we'll get into in a second, but not the scrolls themselves. I'm like, meh. I do think the MCU did a good job because they're usually the bad guys, and 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 the fact that they made Captain Marvel made them actually not the bad guys was kind of a a good, it was a good, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, they, uh, oh my God, Ryan Johnson, last Jedi, <laughs> subverting, subverting expectations. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan Johnson for helping with that word. Uh, so, you know, subverted expectations a little bit there. I think now you're kind of seeing them come full circle of what the scrolls are kind of capable of. But at the same time, I do like the fact that there's reason now it's like they're impatient. Like they, like they want to find their permanent home and earth can't be that. And Nick Fury knows that Talos knows or, that. Or maybe they're wondering but, why, why can't earth be that? Like, we're See, here. It, it, we, well, and I, we're here. We've been right. living here. Like, why? Why can't we just have space here? I mean, and, and there are plenty yeah, of exactly. there are plenty of crazy weird people with crazy power. Not that the scrolls are weird, but there are plenty of people with just crazy powers and abilities. Um, so why? Wh and they're still here. Like, why can't we be here? 
And that's what I'm wondering might be that the emphasis of the story is that, well, before Nick, your excuse was there's no powers and we can't have you guys, you know, doing your thing. And now they, they might see themselves as we can, we should be able to come out as who we are. And, 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 but the problem is that also elevates everything, you know, so there's, I think there's going to be a really complexity a lot here. I'm assuming, especially with the tone that they've given us already, there's going to be a lot of complexity. I think with with this, and I, I'm this is where I'm I'm actually intrigued with the whole shape shifting idea because you're right. They could just be not aliens, but there's. I wonder also if they can if they can only take shape for so long. You know what I mean? Like I wonder if they're in is some kind of limitation because that would make more sense because you're right in the sense of where they could just be normal people and, and whatever but even then they should be they could be thing. able they could walk around in like green scroll form i mean they at, at that's this, what i'm saying yeah, yeah could, at this point yeah. in the mcu I, I think that would i feel like that's going to be the the issue for somebody like gravic is just Look, yes. we don't need we we don't need to waste more time trying to find a new home. We have one. We've been we've had one. We've been living here. I mean, because that seems like why else do all these attacks on Earth if you're just trying to leave? Nobody's going to stop them from leaving. Um, what they're being stopped from doing is just living their normal lives, and and so I, I think that's a very different thing. And, and you know, I mean, I know you could look at this and say, well, this is very Eternals-esque, but the difference is the Eternals really chose and like it's part of their mission with the Celestials and whatever that they're not supposed to interfere, you know, live among and, and not interfere and, and all of those things. It's a completely different um, set of circumstances compared to what the Skrulls have been doing. And yeah, the way what the Skrulls are and, and even their abilities are for lack of a better term, normal relative to the rest of the MCU at this point, because there are so many superpowered characters running around um, that the scrolls wouldn't even necessarily have to stand out all that much. And so I think it's going to be the motivations behind these characters. It's going to be really interesting. And then that's I mean, that's really what where the best stuff comes from. And that's usually the stuff that ends up being the most fun to, to dive into and talk about when we get to spoiler reviews. But you know, you've mentioned uh, Super Scrolls, and, and I want to make sure we get into some oh, yes. of that territory. I'm ready. I'm ready. Couple things. Uh, so, in terms of context here, we see them. You know, we see like these nuclear sites, and and that's what we're seeing. Our you know the Vanity Fair article uh, illustrates that that there are these decommissioned radioactive sites where a lot of these scrolls have been hanging out, including uh, Gravik, because they have some some resistance to the radioactivity and the way that, you know, places like that would be lethal for humans to, to live there. Scrolls have been able to live there just fine. And that's been where they go because there's no humans there. And that's where they can have a home on earth without necessarily being out amongst everyone else. But also something else appears to be happening and what that connection is, is unclear at this point, but it seems like what's going on there is perhaps not only are the scrolls being able to live in these radioactive sites, but maybe they are being somewhat enhanced by these radioactive sites. Because, yeah, all scrolls can shapeshift, but they can't all do what you see some of the scrolls doing in this trailer, or at the very least, Gravix uh, scroll character. And we see a couple things. I mean, we see uh, we see kind of a, a giant fist. We see a very stretchy looking arm reaching out uh, at one point in this trailer. 
which is, as some people have kind of drawn that, it's very similar to the Super Scroll having the stretchy powers of Reed Richards, and then also the giant arm, which I think may also still be similar to the stretching, honestly, but some people have said, oh, that looks like a thing arm from Fantastic Four, but not a thing arm because Ben Grimm has not been introduced at this point uh, in the MCU. And so we have some of the things that people have seen. And and I agree with like the arm stretching looks very Groot-esque, like when Groot stretches and like the branches kind of wrap around and stuff like that. That's kind of what the stretching looks like uh, to me when I see that shot in the trailer. And then there is another shot in the trailer of like of this case that is property of the Department of Damage Control. And then it says the specimen sample and it says cull, which people have pointed out there. There is a character if you're talking about maybe not rock skin, but very hard, scaly skin, super strength person was cull obsidian, one of the children of Thanos from Avengers Infinity War, who did have an arm lopped off, of course, in uh, in Avengers. So if somebody found that out in the snow uh, from the opening, one of the opening fight sequences in Avengers Infinity War, because the rest of Cull Obsidian was, was blown to bits uh, at the uh, security barrier for in Wakanda for the Battle of Wakanda during Infinity War. So if somebody found that arm and they were doing tests on it or whatever, that might be where the Super Scroll abilities come from. And these are all, I mean, these are all just fan theories at this point, but I, I do... I like them, and I do think it's interesting because the idea of the Super Scroll and doing that now, I don't think you could really use Fantastic Four powers yet because that that would not be the way I introduce the Fantastic Four's power set is through a Super Scroll. That's not the way I would do it, and I don't think that's the way Marvel Studios is doing it. So to take the idea of the Super Scroll and adapt it and and ha- use it in conjunction with the pieces that you've already introduced in the MCU, whether that's, uh, you know, and, and maybe there's other elements to this and other samples, but if they're using Groot and or Cull Obsidian or other characters and their powers as a basis for the Super Scrolls, which could eventually have Fantastic Four powers when we know that they interact with the FF at some time, when they presumably interact with the FF somewhere later on down the line in the MCU, this being the way they start it with the Super Scrolls and introduce that idea, I think is really, really cool. And I do like the juxtaposition of here's like this extreme cosmic thing within this grounded espionage thriller and having those two things side by side and not interfere with each other, not you know have, have one weaken the other in, in any way, at least not in what I'm seeing so far from the trailer, I think is really awesome and, and a really cool part of this series. I didn't really know if we were going to get into Super Scroll territory until the Fantastic Four were better established in the MCU. But this is one where you could accuse them of, of hitting the fast forward button. But and I, I'd say I, I guess that's fair, but I, I don't really know how much of a, a crime that would be in, in terms of the adaptation because they have plenty of superpowers already established in the MCU to adapt. Visually, is it as cool as a super scroll with like a thing arm and a flaming arm and stretching out? No, it's not. Um, but what we are in terms of what it can do in the story, that's the part where it can be just as good. Okay, so I this is the stuff I live for for this show, Sean. I this is where I, I love getting nitty gritty here. Okay, first of all, super scroll, love super scroll, always loved them. You're right. They they were never going to introduce the original, the OG super scroll that has all all the Fantastic Four powers in here before the Fantastic Four films. It's not going to happen, right? Now, I, I love You wouldn't even people, want it to happen. I mean, no, I, I, would I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't want it to happen. 
Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, no pun intended. Um, so with Super Scrolls, one of the, and, I, and, I'll, and I, now I'll admit I'm not sure bef- after Super Scroll what be- happened between this for him and this one I'm going to talk about about to talk about. But remember, the original Secret Invasion comic book has an army of Super Scrolls, and it was the first time that I can think of. And I again, I, I don't, I've read every Marvel comic book. I've read a lot. I've read a lot of Marvel in my day, um, but I don't remember any other specific like Super Scrolls where they where it was a combination of powers. I've seen you know powerful scrolls with superpowers, but nothing like the Super Scroll himself and what they have the army on in Secret Invasion. And I've gone on record saying that I am not a fan of that comic series. There's elements that are really cool there, and that was one of the elements that I actually liked, Sean was the fact that the scrolls they they invaded earth essentially to take over because they needed a home and they said you know what we know we can emulate them and we've already we infiltrated them and then when people realized what's going on the whole war started yada 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 and then when they when when everything came to a to a head they brought in their army of super scrolls which when you say when i say army of super scrolls it was like people that were uh, had or scrolls that had the power of the X Men and the the Avengers and other heroes, all different combinations, right? Really cool idea, in my opinion. Now, with that, it makes sense a lot, I think, narratively for this series because I, I which I'm already lo- loving what I'm seeing from this series than I ever read from that comic series. I think the end of the comic series was good. It sets up Dark Reign and all that good stuff with Nor- Norman Osborn. But the main story, I was like, I'm just not into it. it was not never really that into it. Nor that was being I. Said, yeah. That being said, though, I think they're taking elements of that which we're seeing here that are really enhancing it. I think a much better way, a much more that whole espionage thing. That I think Bendis kind of tried to do a little bit here, here or there. But with all um, with with this show in particular, I'm I'm so thankful for all the Marvel fans and that freeze frame and get those things because that's I think you you hit on something a couple things narratively that I think that are important. One you you brought up earlier, why aren't why can't they just stay around? And I think maybe that's what was already happening. The problem is you have this you know uh, Gav is a Gavic Gavic guy who or whoever is that the Super Scroll all of a sudden has powers. Now the problem is if they can mutate themselves and become these super scrolls, then that's a problem. And maybe that's where the maybe Fury knows or the issue is that these scrolls, yeah, they can be trusted. Most of them can be trusted, but if you have these other people who can all of a sudden like have these enhanced powers, that you know they become like they could take over the, the whole world. And I think that's where we're probably going to get into, and I think that's where we're probably going to have the main conflict. Is like, yeah, we could share our planet. The problem is that they're so powerful, they can outnumber us and destroy us. And we can't have that because they can become these super scrolls. I think that's going to be the emphasis. And I love the fact we're getting these free these freeze frames and we're having like the cold obsidian guy. And we're going to have the how people get these. We're going to get the super scrolls, but they're going to be forms of what we've established already in the MCU more more than we've gotten previously in the, in the comic books, which had like hundreds and thousands of characters to emulate. Um, we'll have a lot more smaller ones in this one, but I think it's still going to be fun and interesting to see on screen. Um, yeah, I think that's where, to me, the Super Scrolls are going to be the, the basis of why the Scrolls can't be uh, with us on planet because because of that power level that they they can up- anyone can obtain literally any version of them. 
that's going to be the problem of where they're going to be like, you have, you can't stay here. You guys are too powerful for the planet earth to, you know, even if you were to stay on the planet, like there's not enough heroes to defend from these, these super scrolls that can you know, turn into this, you know? So that's where I think this all comes to. And I think there's going to be a lot of, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of surprises for what kind of characters we're going to be seeing for the super scrolls too. So I, I don't know. I, I love the fact that we've already got the cold city reference. I think that's really cool. I'm sure there's going to be some Hulk stuff in there. Some, you know, some gamma radiation, you know, scrolls. There's going to be a lot of creativity there. I think with all this, you know, and that's another thing too. We haven't got, a, there's, there's not a lot of power level heroes in the MCU. It's a lot of it's, you know, technology based and skill based. Um, so it's going to be interesting how, how creative they get. Um, the Groot thing, that's a very interesting idea. Like, did they get a piece of Groot somewhere? I don't know if Groot's been on Earth or they had it themselves. Groot was on Earth They're, during you know, Infinity again, War. Oh, that's right. I, I almost forgot about that. So, but here's the other thing, too. How they might be super powerful from other people we have maybe not, haven't seen yet that maybe we'll hint at and there know, was, also. Yeah, and there were, like, pieces of Groot. Because remember, he had, like, branches wrapped around Thanos. Like, he dug himself into the ground. He even had, like, Thanos, like, broke free of Groot mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, there was... There's pieces there for people to work with, but sure. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah. And, and as far as like, I, I don't know what the outcome of this story is going to be in terms of what it means for the scrolls. I, I don't necessarily think the message is, you know, you can't, scrolls can't stay here because they're too powerful. Because I mean, if I were a scroll, I'm not buying that argument no matter what, because there's so many powerful characters on earth. But I, I think it's more of, I don't know. Well, it, and and maybe choice is going to be the thing. Maybe that's going to part of it is even even somebody like Talos or or Gaia. Because I, I will say, for all the talk that um, for all the talk of of Nick Fury and you know the the story will end sooner than we think and in one last fight and and all of that stuff. I mean, Talos is a character I'm way more concerned about because there's that shot of him where like he's kind of like losing the shapeshift ability where he's looking more human form, but you see the green from the scroll and he's in a bad way. And there's another shot that looks like it's Gaia, you know, crying over a body and wondering, is that Talos that she's crying over? Cause she's lost her father. I mean, I'm very worried about Talos in this story, but even, even if that's the way it goes down, I think that puts a character like Gaia in an interesting position of, okay, well, she, disagreed with a lot of the choices her father made or how he tried to go about finding the scrolls a new home. But at the same time, if she's not into what Gravik or, or Gravik, I'm not sure on the pronunciation is doing, if she's not into that, you know, how does she honor her father, but then also maybe find something that is a, a better path forward? And then maybe the path is people having more choice over their own individual destiny of where they're going to be that like not one choice has to be made for here is where we as the scrolls will all go as a people. Some of us can go to where we feel is a better home. Some of us can stay here if we feel that this is better. Obviously, characters who've committed, you know, just huge heinous acts of terrorism need to be held accountable for that. And I suspect that they will be at some point in the story. But this is definitely a story that I, I think is built to not have a, a story like this just isn't built to have a, a clean cut, clear resolution. That's just not the way a story like this goes. And so I, I do think things are going to be a little messy. And I, I don't know where that leaves the scrolls, but also for a character like 
Nick Fury or another character like Rhodey, who we haven't mentioned yet uh, or talked about uh, a whole lot in this. And although we do see him, he was in uh, a clip they showed at D23 in the secret in, in the trailer from D23. We see him again here telling Nick Fury that he's the most, most wanted man on Earth. So Nick Fury has probably been framed for something by the Skrulls somewhere in this story. And I think for a care, or maybe it's some other reason uh, that Nick Fury is is the most wanted man on Earth. But I think even for a character like Rhodey, and we know this is you know, Armor Wars is still supposed to happen and still not and be a movie now instead of a Disney Plus series. But there's going to be issues for Rhodey coming out of this. I, I do think that even even Nick Fury, if he's not if he's not going to have as much of a presence after this story, either because he's completely gone and uh, eliminated or uh, because he's dead, or maybe he goes back into space and he's going to stay there now, or whatever the resolution is for Fury, it does kind of create that power vacuum. How does a character like Olivia Coleman's uh, Fallsworth take advantage of that if she survives this story? How does Val factor into this? Because Val seems like a character who isn't being revealed yet in these trailers, but feels like a character who could very easily pop up at some point in this series. Uh, we also know Everett Ross is there. Uh, last we saw, he was being uh, broken out of custody by the Midnight Angels in Wakanda Forever. What's his current standing? Although I would say probably not very good. I mean, on the run from the CIA um, and, and whatever else. So depending on where in the timeline this story is set relative to Wakanda Forever. But I, I think... This is the MCU getting into that territory that we've talked about leading into Thunderbolts. Like, this is where we are in Phase 5. For all the talk of the more cosmic side of things that leads us to Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, we are that's the end of Phase 6. We are still in Phase 5 right now. And, and I know we Quantumania puts us in that Phase 6 mindset for obvious reasons with Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, but... We still have all of Phase 5 in front of us, and I think there's going to be a lot of Phase 5 that is this more grounded, dark rain, thunderbolts type of territory where there are these power vacuums that are going to be created, and that space is going to be filled. Um, filled by characters like Thaddeus Ross, filled by characters like Don't Call Her Val. And so I think Secret Invasion, we, we talked about this in our State of the MCU episode a, a couple months ago, but... I think when we're looking at, we talk about things getting worse for the heroes, and I know they went through a lot of trauma and a lot of loss in in phase four, so it's hard to imagine things getting worse, but I think the general state of the world in the MCU is going to get darker, it's going to get worse in phase five because of who's going to be running things and, and how you create opportunities, space for them to fill and start running things, and I think Secret Invasion is really going to be an important tone setter in that one. Like, I I don't expect this series to end and have all of us going, well, that was fun and everything's okay now. I, I feel like Secret Invasion is going to start and we're going to say, wow, the situation is so much worse than we thought. And then we're going to get to the end of that and be like, oh no, now it's much worse. And, and I feel like that's what Secret Invasion sets us up for. This isn't the kind of story, like that's part of why I, I still wonder, can Nick Fury really... Can this really be the end of Nick Fury? Because I almost feel like he's going to go out in um, this bigger, more heroic, triumphant way, which is maybe not the way Nick Fury's ever meant to go out. But if he can, that's not this story. I, I just don't think that's what this that's is. True. And so I'm really interested to see where uh, where it all goes from here. Um, I, I would just, uh, before we wrap up here, one question that 
anytime you do Secret Invasion, you know, based on the comic book storyline, which, you know, you and I are, are not as big a fans of as uh, as a lot of other folks, and that's fine. You know, we don't all have to like the same comic book storylines, just like we don't all have to like the same chapters of the MCU either. But mm-hmm. in, in terms of the the big question that's out there, uh, I'm going to go and say it's the it's the Mephisto question for Secret Invasion, which is who's been a scroll the whole time? Mm, I don't care. Um, I, I just, well, I care in that I don't want it to be something that undermines what we've had in the MCU. And that, that's been one of my fears with a, with a story like Secret Invasion. It's not interesting to me. It wasn't interesting to me in the comic books to find out uh, this person, you know, Spider-Woman's been a scroll for a really long time. Like, I, it just doesn't, that doesn't really move the needle for me emotionally. And in fact, it goes back and it alters something that I've already seen. And that can be okay if it makes what I've already seen more interesting. But if I find out that Nick Fury has been a scroll the whole time, like I already saw that Nick Fury was a scroll for Spider-Man Far From Home. That was enough. And, you know, or Rhodey was a scroll the whole time. That's not interesting to me. Um, I, I just, I... And, and, and for how long? I mean, are we going back to his moments with Tony during the first few Iron Man movies? I mean, I would I would hope not. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know. Some of that stuff, I, I just feel it's bound to be part of it. Like, I, I feel like that's going to be the question that everybody's asking and speculating about week to week. Like, you know, which thing represents Mephisto and WandaVision? I, I'm a little worried that that's going to kind of take over with this show. It's fine if they reveal that somebody's been a scroll for a while, I guess. Um, but that's, I don't think you need that for it to really be a secret invasion. And I also don't think, like, that's not the most, going into this series, that's not the most interesting question that I need answered. It just isn't. So um, if we get some of that in the show, okay, fine. Um, but if we don't, I'll be just as happy, perhaps even happier. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like what's here is interesting enough. And I mean, I know there needs to be some surprises of just how how big of a part of the fabric of the MCU the scrolls have been, but I, I think you have to balance that out with, in a way that that conveys that message and that feeling without undermining what's already come in the MCU. That and that is a a very tricky thing that I don't think the comic book navigated all that successfully. So I'll be very interested to see how much of that challenge they take on in the MCU version and, and how well they do with it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that one. I'm not, I'm nervous, but at the same time, there's, I have to expect a little bit of that because of what we're dealing with. As long as it's tastefully done, I'll be good. And I think that's the biggest key It's just tastefully done. And, and with the comic book series, it was rampant and it was just, it got too much. And I remember being kind of pissed off when, all of a sudden it was revealed that like, oh yeah, Spider-Woman's been a scroll for like, actually forever, almost. It's what it felt like. And I'm like, really? That's, it, it retroactively maybe dislike what I read before. Like, we're talking the original like New Avengers run, which I freaking love. And I always, and honestly, I try to forget that's even, that's even the thing. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm with you on that though. I, as long as, long as, as long as, as long as it's tastefully done, I can't talk. Um, I'll be happy, but I, I I have faith in the in the MCU writers that and the the creative teams that they're not just going to do that. So we'll see. 
We will see. And that is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Make sure you check out Fan Show Plus. That's where we're going to be talking about the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse trailer and its very overt MCU reference. What does that mean for Spider-Verse? What does it mean for the MCU? We'll dive into that over on Fan Show Plus, which is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel, you can find it there and subscribe so you can hear that episode and many, many more. Remember to follow us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to leave that Apple Podcast review if you have not already. If you have, thank you very much. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. This coming episode, we will be doing one of my favorite Avengers stories. Uh, it's called Assault on Avengers Mansion. Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil have their ultimate revenge on the Avengers. It's fantastic. I'm going to have my boy uh, Bottle Rocket from Twitter and also Dell, the uh, the inf- very infamous uh, shirt maker for the Buffalo Bills, uh, Bills Mafia fans uh, for charity and things like that. So I'm really excited. He was on uh, a couple weeks ago or months ago um, for, um, oh my gosh, Ant-Man and Quantum Mania of reviews and things like things like that. So they're going to come, and this will be Bottle Rocket's first, ep- uh, first episode. Super excited to get into that because um, that's one of my favorite maybe Avenger stories ever. So check that out. That'll be this Tuesday. It'll be a live stream and then you can always check it out afterwards. So love to subscribe and please uh, go and like some videos and yeah, appreciate it. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.